You're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Economopoulos. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Steve Byrne on growing up with funny friends. Yeah, I had a ton of funny friends. I mean, I think back and there's some guys, I think that, you know, there's probably two or three of them high school that literally could have been comedians. One's a psychologist, the other one's down a floor of, like, fixing airplanes. I think those two guys definitely could have been comics. And I think I never even intended to be a comedian. I'd never been to a comedy show until I worked at a comedy club. Hear more from Steve in just a bit. Our song of the week is from White Reaper from Louisville, Kentucky. I think I might like this track actually better than the previous track, and that was one of my top five for last year, so stay tuned for that. The Dumb Bit is a quality dumb bit from an actual stand comedian. It is a cut from Sally Brooks's CD entitled, no title, I hate when people say entitled, it's not entitled. When you're entitled to something, it's you, you should be given something, although now I think entitled has been misused so much, it actually now does mean titled. Anyway, Sally Brooks' CD is titled Brooks Was Here. It came out just before Christmas, and you know we had a lot of stuff going on. We couldn't quite get to it, uh, but we really wanted to. But now we're going to play a track from it. Um, it's a track called Photobomb. And uh, she's uh, mates with Alex Stone and Mike Cronin. We played uh, tracks from their CDs back in November and December. And uh, part of that kind of that Cincinnati comedy scene that we're, uh, we're kind of a part of in some tiny uh, way. So uh, hopefully what will happen here, you, you can go download this from, uh, I believe, Rooftop Comedy, iTunes. It's uh, all the major places you buy, find comedy CDs. And then when this episode is complete, I'll uh, tweet out that uh, we played a cut from Sally's album, and then maybe she'll like the tweet. <laughs> That's a little joke. Um, all right, so here from Sally Brooks' album, Brooks Was Here. Uh, this is a track called Photobomb. Some funny stuff in here about computers and the young people and everything. Here we go. It's weird being my age and living in a college town. Uh, I get called ma'am all the time, and I hate that. Oh, God. I was on a bus the other day. I was behind these two kids, and they were taking pictures of themselves, you know, taking some selfies. And they turn the phone around. They look at the picture, and then the girl turns to me, and she goes, Ugh, really, ma'am? I was just sitting behind them like, what? What? I was like, you know what? You kids don't even understand the true meaning of a photo bomb. Back in my day, we couldn't erase our pictures. There's still Japanese couples from their DC trip in 95 wondering, why is that white girl giving gang signs in the back of our photo? So, f*** you kids, you don't get it. I think that means I love you in sign language, right? Or something super hardcore like that. Something super hardcore. So don't call me ma'am is really all I'm trying to say. God, you're going to have to right here. You look so young. How about you show some damn respect for your elders? <laughs> you do look very young. How old are you? 27. 27? You're a babe. Look at you. You look young enough that, like, you could be like my son if my parents had ignored me in high school, right? <laughs> What's your name, sweetheart? Sean. Sean, are you kidding? That's exactly what I would have named you, Sean. What? <laughs> Sean, who are you here with? Kathleen. Kathleen? Hey, wouldn't that be messed up if that's why she brought you here? She was like, well, I think it's finally time we introduce your real mom. It's a lady on stage talking about <laughs> herself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sean, do you want some advice that my mom, your grandma, gave me when I was younger? <laughs> I think this is good advice for guys, too. Uh, so my mom's super son. She was in Tennessee, and she told me when I was younger, she goes, Honey, 
there aren't that many good lovers in the world, so you should have as many as you can, which is great advice, right? That's actually, I mean, I wasn't ready to digest it as an eight-year-old, but I think at 27, I'm ready. Go ahead, sow those oats. She seems nice, but you never know. You never know. So I know there's some colleges around here. I live in a college town. I will give you guys uh, something to do. This is my favorite day of the year living on a college campus. Uh, I, the day after Halloween, what I like to do is I like to go and stand outside of the frat houses and I just yell at all the sorority girls who like shacked up the night before. You know, they're still like in their sexy Hello Kitty costumes. And I just go, live it up, sluts. I'm your future. <laughs> Sean, tell me this. So, I do a lot of young people where I live, and this girl recently, she wanted some information from me, and I was like, hey, just shoot me an email. I'll get you the information. And she said, um, I don't know if you know this, but like kids of my generation, we don't really use email anymore, so why don't you just give me your phone number? <laughs> Sean, when she said that, I felt like how women of my mom's generation, women who fought for women's rights, how they feel when they meet a girl who's like, oh, I just need a man to like take care of me and pay for me. I'm like, we fought for email, Sean. God, do you know there was a time before caller ID when you said to pick up the phone and talk to whoever was there? It could be your grandma or telemarketer. Do you know that? Do you know that the rest of us in this room suffered through AOL dial-up for you? I had to talk to dirty old men in chat rooms. That's how I know some of these guys. You guys back me up on this. When email first came out, people were like, that's not a viable means of communication. It's too casual, right? But we fought for it. You know, we taught like the old and the dumb and the grandmas and the grandpas, even though they're like, how do I get to that Google with these giant hands? We did that for you. Do you guys know where I was when my boyfriend in college broke up with me over email? I was in the computer lab because nobody had personal computers at that time. You think I wanted to be the girl that was sitting there crying in front of everyone yelling, why, Andy, why? No, but I did it for you and now you want my phone number. F- you, Sean, get off my lawn. I don't know how you guys with kids do it. I just got this one. He's already a handful. Burn is a stand-up comedian originally from Pittsburgh, PA, where I lived for a couple of years, as a matter of fact. And you've seen him all over the TV, on the talk shows, and on the cable networks, and all that fun stuff. He's got three specials, I believe, on Netflix, working on a fourth. Uh, you may have also seen his, unfortunately now canceled show on TBS, Sullivan and Son. But don't worry, he's working on a new one, as well as a screenplay. Here now is our talk with Steve Byrne. So, um, it's been a while since we spoke. Uh, you were on the podcast and in City Pages, like, gosh, it's been over a year. Um, I guess the first thing to ask me, uh, what's new with you? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, well, probably about 15 pounds after this holiday break. Uh, there you go. That is definitely what's new with me. Um, trying to grab everything. But look, I'm just gearing up towards uh, February 6th. I'm filming a new special, a new comedy special for Netflix. So that's kind of where all my attention is. That. So awesome. That's why I'm hitting the road and trying to uh, prepare for it. Cool. Yeah, it seems whenever people do comedy specials, 
one of their last stops seems to be Minneapolis. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if it's uh, planned that way because you know it's you know there's there's smart audiences up there or that just happened to work out that way with you. I think you're right. I think it's the smart audiences. That's what I'll say. Make sure you put that in bold. <laughs> right there, you go. Uh, well, I'm, I don't have any skin in the game. I'm from Cincinnati uh, via Pittsburgh and Cleveland, so I don't really have any. Uh, uh, like I said, any, okay. <laughs> I don't need to be complimented there. Like I said, like I tell people all the time, I've been to Minnesota twice for an hour in the airport. Oh wow! Okay, but the paper's been super well, nice to me, so I have I I have a lot of affection for Minnesota. Oh good. Yeah. Um. So, have you been home at all back in Pittsburgh for the holiday season? Uh, I'm actually here now. Okay, because I'm uh. I'm working here for New Year's. I thought so. so. I'll be here all week, and okay. uh, yeah, I'm going to go see the Penguins play tonight. There you go. And go off and do the shows, and just it's always great to go back home wherever home is for anybody. It's really nice, especially when you're, you know, you do comedy and you get to, you know, there's always somebody from high school or college that you just haven't seen for probably 20 years. That's uh, usually the best part of this gig. Yeah, it does seem that a lot of the uh, New Year's shows are, are homecoming shows for a lot of comedians. If they go back to the, either their, their hometown or at least the market where they started doing stand-up and so forth. So that's, that's good for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, look, it's a nice way to cash in, too. There's New Year's, the race, so it's like, might as well go where you know, I'm from and enjoy it a little more. Exactly. Now, it's you, New Year's Day, so you're just babysitting, so. Yeah, well, um, so have you bumped into our mutual friend, my uh, my old buddy uh, Mike Travers, guitar-slinging comic, while you've been home this this round? I haven't bumped into them yet. I just got in, but I'm sure okay. that I'll see he and his wife Kendall at some point. Yeah, they're, yes. they're so, so yes. nice and supportive. Yeah. Yes, he's a he's a funny man. Um, it's it's always funny. People always say that um, you know when they ask people that are in any kind of comedy uh, vein, they always say, oh my friends that I grew up with are way funnier than me, and I would definitely say that's the case with me. Would would you say that? Did you have a lot of funny friends in Pittsburgh, or did you? Re- oh God, yeah, yeah. I had a ton of funny friends. I mean. I think back and there's some guys I think that, you know, there's probably two or three I went to high school with that literally could have been comedians, but one's a psychologist, the other one's down in Florida, like, fixing airplanes. I think those two guys definitely could have been comics. And then in college, there's one or two guys I went to college with that I think could have been comics. But, you know, maybe it's just something. It wasn't, look, I never even intended to be a comedian. I'd never been to a comedy show until I worked at a comedy club just by chance. I went yeah. to Caroline's Comedy Club in New York City, and that was how I got exposed to stand-up, and never intending or thinking you could make a living at it, and here I am, you know, 18 years later, doing it for, you know, full-time gig, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Now, how many specials have you done? Because I think you have one that's currently on Netflix that people can see, because I was trying to find one the other night for my wife yeah, and I've done, to watch. Yeah, I've done three. Uh, the okay. one is called Champion. It's on Netflix now, and, uh, this new one I'm filming in February. It should be up sometime in spring, I guess. Cool. And um, any anything new that you're talking about? Well, not, not of course, talking about stuff, stuff that's new, but, I mean, uh, any new direction you're going in, or is it just, uh, you know, just, uh, Steve, better than ever? <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> that's one way to build it, Steve, better than ever. But that should be the name. I think the last... <laughs> Yeah, the last two were a little more racial and pushing the boundaries, and I think this one I've I finally, you know, have centered my comedy. I I pushed myself a little further than maybe even I wanted to in the last one, and 
some of the stuff was a little, maybe a little darker or whatever, but this one, I, it's just a lot more personal. It's about turning 40 and, you know, thinking of life in, in your retrospect and the think of the future and the present, but also now that I'm a father and I have two children, it's also, um, giving advice to perhaps millennials, people half my age, you know, uh-huh. there's some guideposts for things to think about. So it's very inclusive to people that are maybe my age and people that are half my age, which is really the core audience of who's watching Netflix and, um, you know, streaming comedy online anyway. So it, that, it just kind of haphazardly worked out that way. It, it wasn't intended to be that way, but I think it's, I, it's definitely my best work. So do you, are you one of these uh, uh, folks that maybe, you know, age is, made you feel, you know, more uh, comfortable with opening up on stage about doing, you know, more personal material? Or is it just a matter of just, you know, uh, keeping the craft, you know, developed like a, like a Gaffigan or a George Carlin? Well, I think it definitely comes with time. I mean, finding your voice, establishing your voice. Look, I was thinking about this the other day. If you're a rock band, right, and you want to make it big, I mean, you know, you get together with a bunch of guys from high school or college, play for a few years and most of the bands that hit in their 20s early 20s really and then it's up to you to sustain and stay relevant but I think most comics very few comics get hot at 23 24 you know it, it takes a long time I think Amy Schumer and Aziz are like two kind of like anomalies where they hit in their in their 30s or mid 30s because it does take time to establish your voice and your identity oh yeah but I think generally speaking most comics do hit in their 40s, which is kind of weird. Because I've, I've done things and I've had some some moments along the way, but, you know, you look at Brian Regan, Gaffigan, yeah. uh, Louis, Louis Black, Louis C.K., um, you know, a lot of the guys, Chris Rock, a lot of the guys that have become relevant over the last few years. It's like those guys took the time to work the road, to establish their identity, to really work on their craft and and I think eventually something clicks later on for comics that, that it might think that perhaps that could be the case for me with this next one because I just put a lot of stock into it. And I think it's, uh, again, I'm, I'm really, this is the most proud of that of my work. That's cool. Um, and a thing too with music is that people seem to be very resistant to when bands do new music, especially if they had a successful back catalog. Whereas in comedy, people still like to hear the old jokes, sure, but they're much more open to hearing new material, and they wouldn't even mind if you do a whole hour of new material and don't even, you know, do their favorite joke. Yeah, that's the thing that's, that's <laughs> you know, it's like rock and roll and music or hip-hop, whatever. There's so many correlations or similarities between the two art forms that really, at the end of the day, it's no comparison. Music is the Music hits a wide range of emotions, whereas comedy just hits one. And that's why, uh, yeah. you know, people associate music with so many great memories or college or whatever, but comedy is just an art form that you just enjoy, you know, visually, and, and you laugh, and that's it. And it, it's true. I mean, there's artists that can tour off of one hit album for years, for decades, but comics, we have got to constantly be reinventing ourselves, creating new material, if you truly want to stay relevant and you continue to run a tour, that's that's the the harder thing about being a comic. Yeah, and you don't hear a lot of people you know out there saying, oh, "I remember where I was when I heard Andrew Dice Clay do that joke." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
So do you have like a, a favorite bit or that, that you, you know that you still bring out from time to time just because you like it so much or is do you just finally retire them at some point and they don't really ever come back? I don't know for years early on you know I would do you know my my a bits my ace in the hole my you know crowd pleasers over and over again and you know into my second hour I'd still bring things back but I, I, as, as I've gone on, especially the last two or three years, once I film that hour, I'm kind of done with it. And I just start from scratch. And I use two or three A jokes from the last hour to, as a crutch to get me through okay. the next hour. But I think that's just the best way to develop is to just lose everything and not rely on anything. And then hopefully you'll create something as good, if not better, than those last A bits. Because every hour is kind of like, it's kind of like a record. You want to have three or four hit singles, and then the rest is kind of good tunes. You hope, yeah. But you know, that's that's always the goal is to have at least three memorable jokes from each hour special that people go. That's undeniably great. Well, with the album comparison too, there's also a thing where there's a lot of times there's songs on an album, a music album, that people say, "Oh, that should have been a single. That should should have been a hit." Do you do people come up to you and say, "Oh, I like this you know, this one part of your set particularly," and are you surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, comedy is definitely, it, it's always surprising to me because, you know, there's people that enjoy toss-away lines. There's people that just enjoy tags even better than the main joke. There's people that enjoy jokes that, you know, you you don't put much stock in. Um, and then there's jokes that I've even written that I thought, oh, this is going to be a joke that defines my career. This is great. <laughs> it's well-structured. It means something. It's saying something. It's relevant to the the times and you go up and do it and it just completely craters and then there's just a tossaway thing that you wrote down that you just try out that night and that joke just gains so much momentum that becomes one of the better jokes in the hour so you know even after doing this for 18 years you just never know you have no you have no idea what's going to work and you have no idea what's going to resonate yeah that is so strange i'm i'm notorious for when uh doing open mics i will usually laugh at the stuff that other people aren't laughing at like this one kid went up did had a really solid set. He had one joke that just got silence. I was I laughed out a real laughed out loud laugh, and people thought I was nuts. And then I always tell people, yeah. I, and I quit trying to advise comedians by saying, "Oh, we should do this one joke again." There's this one gal, uh, Kelly Collette. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She's from here, and I famously told her to do this joke about steak and shake because uh, she did it on Facebook. Said, That's great, do that. And she did it the next night and she wrote me back and goes, "Yet yeah, bombed." <laughs> so. Yeah, like you said, it's just yeah. it's just odd how you know, uh, especially in a in a comedy set when you know there's in a sixty minute set you know you're gonna have what you know thirty thirty five punchlines you know who can say it's like that fantasy football that daily fantasy football thing you really don't know how those guys are gonna perform um, exactly yeah yeah do you, you never know yeah as a sports fan do you do any of that stuff uh, do you, or do you fantasy football guy or any of that daily fantasy stuff. No, I love my family, so <laughs> I don't do that. I spend I spend Sundays with my kids and my wife. I don't sit in front of the there laptop playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so I I don't get that into anything like that. Yeah. What else? What What do you do when you're apart from your family? What What do you do like when you're off duty, as it were? When I'm off duty. I mean, I try to spend as much time with my kids as possible. Um. You know, especially when I'm home. I'm home three days a week, especially gearing up for this hour. But, you know, when I'm on the road, I, 
I write a lot now. I, I just finished a screenplay that's getting some traction. I, you know, I'm in the process of writing my next uh, television pitch that I'm going to go out with in uh, next pitch season. So, you know, th- those are things that kind of keep me busy now. Is and, and I find a lot of enjoyment in writing. And I wish it's something I started earlier on my, in my career, but uh, it's something I've really enjoyed doing lately. And did you get more uh, of a comfort level on the TV side from doing Sullivan and Son, or had you been doing that before, as before that came along? No, definitely the comfort came from Sullivan and Son. The confidence did, I think, probably my second season midway through. I gained a lot of confidence in terms of, you know, acting. Uh, you know, prior to, I just had no idea what the hell I was doing. I thought you just memorize it and you just be as honest. But, you know, it, it takes a lot of uh, work to to tell those lines honestly so um, at least for me everybody's different uh, I, I would say I was completely natural to it so it definitely took time to develop my my comfortability with acting but uh, I, I would feel very comfortable to have somebody just call me up and say hey can you come on down and do this role uh, I was always intimidated by lines and memorizing but that was the thing that I was the quickest at uh, surprisingly so I feel I feel a lot more comfortable in terms of just you know spearheading perhaps being one of the spearheads of a, of a production and keeping everything in line and also creatively trying to communicate a story. So um, I look forward to this next year and hopefully I get another chance to do that. Did you have um, you think more trepidation about trying stand up for the first time or doing your first real acting gig or? Did since you would conquered stand up was acting kind of like well I can I can do this as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, I definitely was probably a lot a hell of a lot more nervous to try stand up for the first time because at that moment I'd never done anything from the performance angle, and um, you know even now sometimes when I go into auditions or you know I, I do anything acting, you know I look at the other people in the room and think well none of these guys have done the Tonight Show 10 times, but you have, so ah. have some confidence in yourself. And so that's kind of, you know, you just try to find these little mileposts in your life that, that maybe can put you put some wind in your sails. And, um, you know, it seems to have worked. <laughs> so I think definitely the first time I did stand-up, I was held a lot more nervous than than the first time I did uh, acting. Yeah, it's interesting. At the end of the day, look, it's, it, it's like I wrote it. I wrote, I wrote these jokes. Yeah. So I should be able to perform them. That's true, yeah. And it's interesting, too, uh, when some, some artists are very comfortable trying a whole new art form and others, you know, uh, are very nervous uh, about it. I guess it's just, you know, where your, your your comfort level is. Is there something that you haven't conquered yet that you would, you know, like to move move into or, or take, a, take a crack at? Well, I still think that I'm, you know, I'm by no means a household name yet. So that's something I've, I, I just put all my effort in towards, and I think it's a lot of it is, you know, what is the message of your stand up? What are you trying to communicate? Who are you trying to relate to? And I think that was something I was very aware of this time around. So, um, you know, I think that just trying to communicate some semblance of a positive message in your stand up, uh, at least for me personally, is, is something I've been working on this, this last hour. So hopefully, you know, just trying to resonate as a comic. Uh, that that is definitely been a goal that I don't think I've fulfilled completely yet. Uh, well, I think you're moving in the right direction. I think you're certainly you know right in line with uh, you know the folks that are just ahead of you. You know Gaffigan and and Regan, where you had to give a 
uh, you know, a distinct presence, and uh, you know, you're selling out the theaters and things like that. And I think you know, we're, we're right on the cusp here. We got to get you pushed over the cliff, as they say in Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. We'll see. Get you to eleven. All right, man. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Have fun in Pittsburgh. Go Pens, except when you're playing the Blues, of course. And um, yeah, just yeah. Ha- have fun in Pittsburgh. And uh, uh, good luck with the in the pilot season. We'll be uh, we'll be crossing our fingers, hoping you get another one on the air. It's very kind of you. Thanks again so much, and Thanks. all the best to you. All right, thanks, Take care, Steve. Bye. All right, bye bye. All right, Thanks again to Steve Byrne for being on the show. You can catch Steve in Bellevue, Washington. That is Friday. You see January 22nd, it looks like. Yes, through... No, I'm sorry, Thursday, the 21st of January, he is there. And then he is there through January 23rd. That's a Saturday night. And then he's up in Edmonton, Alberta at the comic strip uh, up there in Edmonton from the 27th through, it looks like, the 30th. And then for other dates and deets, as they say, go to steveburnlive.com. I feel there's other things I should be discussing with you right now. Um, go to Pop Culture Beast and uh, look at Fangirl's review of All Time Low. Uh, that is the latest thing she had there. She wrote and did the pictures for it, so uh, just got a lot of hits on that. And uh, help out Pop Culture Beast and Fangirl and uh, our show. And let me see, I guess that's it. I'm going to skip the credits, don't feel like doing them. Uh, we're going to get to the song of the week here. From White Reaper. Now, we've been a champion of these guys almost as much as our friends over at Dad Rock. If you dig this tune, you dug the one I played on the top five a couple weeks ago, uh, go to Dad Rock, uh, the podcast over on USA Today. They did an episode a couple of episodes ago. It was an hour of talking about this man, White Reaper from Louisville, Kentucky. I think you're going to dig him. Uh, like I said in the intro, I think I like this song maybe even more than the other song because, um, you know, people put me down for kind of being a keyboardy guy and are, are maybe are surprised this is even in my wheelhouse. But uh, I like some good guitar work, and even though there's a nice little keyboardy sound going in the back at the beginning of the song, there's a nice little guitar riff in the middle, and we'll fade out at that point because we really are not allowed to play more than 90 seconds. But um, here is our song of the week, I Don't Think She Cares from White Reaper. So long, and thanks for listening. <laughs>